Abolition is about presence, not absence. It's about building life-affirming institutions. How can we build life-affirming movement spaces where people come and know all of me, including my flaws, has room to be here? If I cause harm, I will be held accountable, but I will not be thrown away. I won't be torn apart. I won't be destroyed. I won't be disrespected even. I see so much disrespect of people's fundamental humanity under the guise of accountability culture. That is a quote from Adrienne Marie Brown. I think it's really beautifully said as well in terms of this is a this is a point I've seen. I actually uh, makes me think about. I don't know the exact quote, so I won't even bother quote it. But I'm just going to hat tip HT to uh, Africa Brook, um, uh, who said much the same thing that like if we as we cancel people, we're essentially canceling ourselves. Um, we are we're depriving ourselves of people or perspectives that provoke in us a strong response which, you know, again, in my druthers is always, oh, if there's a strong response, we have something to learn there. I think culturally, we have reached this internal sensitivity point where anything that, that causes people to feel bad feelings for some people immediately equals kill it with fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we can't, I think this is, I think hence cancel culture as like in, in large, like I think we're going to zoom out more in today's conversation is, uh, is quite often quite harmful because it seeks really to, to outcast, to destroy, to harm, to punish, as opposed to learn. And again, if a large group is, is, is provoked, this is kind of interesting thing, right? A large group is provoked. That is not immediately verification that, that person has committed some sort of cultural by like uh, whatever transgression. It well may mean the culture has a, a flipping primal wound that that person addressed. And we like, if we're all tr triggered about it, we all have something that that's, that's true about, you know what I mean? I often think people really in general don't get super provoked about things that are, that are, um, just completely and abjectly wrong. They're usually, there's usually something about it that you're like, mm, I don't like that thing about it. Or I don't like what it says about me quite often. You know what I mean? We're often seeking to like castigate or, and I do this in my own life too, like castigate that which we castigate in ourselves, which can be born about from a rational, like substance, substantial premise or from spurious things like majority rule. You know what I mean? Majority rule is never really gonna in and of itself grant us, you know, truth, anything approaching truth. It's gonna be, it'll just be consensus. And then, you know, that sort of thing. So they're, they're like, oh, so you hate democracy, Brendan? Uh, by the way, my name's Brendan. <laughs> my name's Andy. And this is totally classic. And we are addressing the question um, once more, is cancel culture just accountability. And that pause is intentional because as Andy highlighted last week, this acts, I didn't mean it. I think I wrote the question, but I didn't mean it to be that uh, profound. I was like, is it merely is all I meant. But when just, since has, just has two meanings, the, the more impactful meaning, meaning justice, um, 
actually highlights, as Andy noted, the the greater imperative of what we're talking about. Because there are things, we have to admit, I guess we didn't really talk too much about, there are things that do need to be canceled. There are, <laughs> there are aspects of ourselves that you need to excise, that need to be removed. Um, we just, but addressing those and deciding which those are, of course, is, is, is the human project. <laughs> yeah, and, and there are ways that um, in the context of movement spaces or social justice at large, I think what a lot of us are attempting to address are the ways in which people are already being canceled yeah. uh, based on being marginalized. Uh, so that there's dominant culture in the middle and, and sort of towards the, the nexus of power and then everything on the margins has, has a tendency to be canceled, whether it's by law or by harm or violence or words or actions or other measures. Yeah. And that's the thing too, identifying this is the helpful aspect of cancel culture is even rising up against something or starting to talk about something is helpful to identify constantly. Like we talked about last week, like, oh, the oops, uh, the, uh, the uh, ouch oops. Like if there's an ouch, then, okay, let's stop for a second. Let's, let's figure out what happened. Did something happen? You know what I mean? And, or did nothing happen? Which is those, these are all on the plate. You know what I mean? Or did something sort of happen? Like we, and likewise with sort of the, the concepts of uh, oppression and oppressor, like we have to constantly ascertain like, did that happen or, and how did this outcome happen? And, and is the outcome being actively pursued or are we living in the, in the outcome of previous active pursuit? And now we accept uh, non-remedy of previous pursuit as baseline. And I mean, all of these things are, are interwoven and we have to realize just like, like that same exploration that you're involved in, uh, the same thing happens with any like knee-jerk cancel culture response, to, you know, to whatever, Dave Chappelle's jokes or, or whatever, you know, I just bring him up because I know we record these, uh, as I've been saying to people, I was like, we, we record them after things, but we re release them later, which I think has pragmatic help. So it's like a hot take, serve cold. Um, but just this week, uh, in, when we're recording this, uh, Dave Chappelle was just attacked on stage by a man with a gun knife, by the way, which I just think is such a weird part of the story. It was a like a fake gun, but the fake gun was a real knife. Not like a bayonet. No, no, like it looks like a gun, but it's like, it's actually a knife. Okay. All right. I don't know. Like literally for some reason that was the most brain melting part of it, but no, but like, whatever that's, that's. So, so I, he didn't like that phrase. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> right. He brought a gun knife to a, to a not, it wasn't even a fight. It was comedy, you know, but whatever. But like, I think those are like popular examples of what we consider. Cancel isn't comedy always a fight. Isn't, isn't that why you like it? I mean, that's, that it's is, just, yeah, it is. It is. That's literally what it's, it's there to do. It's basically for us to, it's like tickle, it's a, a comedy, stand-up comedy is a tickle fight. <laughs> yeah, but yes, it should. I, I mean, no, uh, I mean, I don't think there's any really good comedy that doesn't uh, combat something. It has to violate some accepted premise, uh, whether that's reality, you know, how you, how you talk about people or else it's not funny because then there's no surprise. So yes, it is intentionally, it is intentionally violated. Well, I, I didn't. I didn't hear about Chappelle being attacked by the, the gun knife. Um, but but <laughs> certainly, I'm reminded by, you know, him. I mean, all the controversy around him making certain jokes. Yeah. That are perceived as um, anti-trans or transphobic. 
and then him defending that by saying, well, I, I have a trans friend who thinks it's hilarious. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's a question I hold, you know, like, like there, one way to look at that is that he's attempting to draw us into this future where we have, where, you know, trans, particularly black trans folks aren't, aren't dying every day um, at, at alarming rates and aren't walking in those um, deeply, uh, I think, harmed bodies and, and trauma so that perhaps we can, there's this sort of equal, I think I mentioned South Park before, like the equal opportunity uh, offender <coughs> kind of version of things. Or it's like, yeah, yeah. hey, everything's fair game. And wouldn't, wouldn't we want to live in a world where everybody, um, you know, could, could be treated similarly? Uh, or, or we're not going to make exceptions um, because we have actually done the work to reduce the harm of that population. Yeah. Well, and mockery. I mean, of course, I come from a comic perspective. Mockery is actually one of the signposts of equality. You know what I mean? So it's a weird thing. Like, if you can't do it, then then that's actually unequal. It literally is unequal. You know what I mean? So then it, it, it's fascinating. So like, but yeah, but it's like, oh, are you, again, this is the kind of the punching down concept, which I think a lot of people get canceled for, punching down on whoever, right, is the, is the, is the concept. And in some ways, the like, I mean, your phrasing of the retort is not entirely, uh, his retort wasn't in, entirely incorrect, but like the idea of, oh, I have somebody who is this, who was not offended, is similar to like, well, okay, I threw fireworks in the room, let's say, and one person, one person didn't have a heart attack or whatever, you know what I mean? Three people had a heart attack and one person didn't, you know what I mean? Now that's a good, now of course, uh, this is the hard part with comedy of the whole th cancel culture we talked about, yes, uh, not yesterday, but last week was um, identifying how, like in one of these things like, oh, he's being canceled for, she's being canceled for what? Har like harm is often the, the barometer. And I think it's what we talked about, I think rightly uh, last week, but then it's demonstrating harm, like identifying harm, you know what I mean? And so, and this is the thing we've seen where can't like quote unquote cancel culture is, I, I'm just going to say it's not, has nothing to do with accountability, this aspect of it, where it's people who aren't harmed and people who are often harmed, like imagining harm on somebody else's behalf, which from a, from a, a fundamental standpoint is about love for your neighbor, so heck yeah. But it is also in some ways about condescending love for your neighbor because it's assuming that such a thing as words would hurt your neighbor if they haven't said, they haven't even said so. So that's the thing of like, you know, the thing you talked about last week, which I thought was great, the ouch oops. That's literally someone else in the group saying ouch on someone's behalf. You know what I mean? So someone says something and then uh, Christina goes, ouch. I mean, Tabitha is, you can't talk about that around Tabitha. And you're like, ooh, eh, I get it. Like, again, I can kind of get your vibe of like, that's, but your ouch is about somebody else, which is weird, especially in improv. Let me just relate this to comedy. In improv, it's kind of like bad, uh, it's bad vibes. It's kind of a bad choice to talk about someone who's not in the scene. Um, it's not, you know, doing waiting for Godot is, is, is high art, let's be honest. <laughs> so talking, you're like, when you're in a scene, you're starting a scene with somebody else, you start talking about someone else immediately in any class event in, they'd be like, ah, stop, what are you doing? Why, 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 how does that help us? You're literally talking about someone who's not here. You're here, they're here, talk to each other, talk to it. You have everything you need in the scene, in the eyes of your partner. And I think it, a lot of the work you're up to honestly sounds similar to that. And like, you're harmed, I'm going to 
I'm the person who may have harmed you. I'm going to address it directly with you. And we can collectively share, hold space and even offer all sorts of angles of, 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 of viewpoint to help suss out what's reality because we're both locked in our little Rashomon, this is real, this is not real, this whatever um, system. But it is pretty much, it's about the person and the person. And I think that's certainly one area where someone can have a good intention um, and cause only harm, you know? That's, yeah, that's fascinating. I, the intention, I, as I understand it and use that framework is, is like, I, I would only ever speak for myself. Like, yeah, that, that's a really yeah. slippery slope of being like, yeah. oh, wait a minute, especially, and I know I've been guilty of this, of, of the kind of newer, newer social justice warrior, you know, white folks, you know, many of us emerge after these major events like George Floyd. And, you know, for me, it was um, Ferguson and Michael Brown. And there's a tendency to be like, I'm one of the good ones. You know, that's that's just, a, a, you know, ooh, who doesn't want to be on the right side of, of uh, well, I guess there's plenty of people, but but it, I don't know. I think a lot of our uh, investigation is, well, what is the right side of history? What is the right side of these things? Because guess what? They're really nuanced. Um, oh, you're saying, oh. That, you're saying that just to make me angry. Maybe, you know, once we get, if we ever make the show high technology, this would be like when Pee Wee's like the word of the day, you know? <laughs> When everyone, when everyone says apple, everyone go bananas. When everyone says nuance, I'm like, I get a twitch in my left eye. Kind of like when people used to, people are saying it less. I'm so happy about it. Uh, it is what it is. I'm like, I love words and all, but oh my gosh, is that a waste of words? Why you're did like, you? You're why like, did of you course, speak? of course. That's... Yeah, Apple, apples are apples, man. True, bro. It's like, it's like deep stoner wisdom and people say it like it's, uh, like it's some sort of Confucian uh, profundity. Um, but yes, I'm opposed to nuance just because I don't think nuance exists because I don't think gray areas exist. I think they're all uh, black and white binaries. We just haven't zoomed in close enough on <laughs> is what Andy was provoking me about. But yeah, sorry, speak of your nuance. Oh, it's like moist. <laughs> uh, I've been learning a lot about the, the importance of embodying uh sexuality and sexual pleasure this week so so moist. I'm, not sure they, I'm not sure they said the word moist but that's what it brought up for me yeah. um so perfect segue because one thing we we didn't hit on it i was i was discussing this with a, another friend and colleague and i said oh we're talking about cancel culture and his first reaction was oh oh you're talking about an intention versus impact and i don't know if he said versus which is an important oh um, interesting yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I'll just, but that's how I often say it, but I'm trying to actually remove that or, or shift that. Mm -hmm. And it relates to something you just said, which is this binary. And that maybe yeah. as we continue to just for anybody interested in this journey between us, just point out our, uh, the differences between us and our personalities yeah. and how we see the world. And I, I, I believe in the gray area. I, I yeah. live in the gray area. Um, and the space between, that's a whole theme in one of the groups I'm leading this year. Yeah. And in, in that way, you know, it's often framed like intention and impact or this binary. You have to pick. Yes. And we, and the argument often is, well, we live in a world where intention is the thing we usually focus on, particularly if there are power dynamics, because oh, interesting. if there's, if, one person has more power or, or if another group has been conditioned to like take care of that group with more power, that person, there can be a tendency to, you know, 
even though harm may ha may have been done and that person you know feels bad at a minimum or or there's some deeper trauma being triggered yeah. that really could have tangible impact on them uh in terms of the rest of the day how they show up how they can function do their work show up for their family all those things yeah um not to mention if if they don't really have an opportunity to let that process in any time uh in any timely way that it could be kind of shut down in the body and and perhaps um fester and and uh manifest as some some sickness later on uh but i again i i, I it, it is the yes and it is the well, why does it have to be either yeah so i at this point in my journey feel like we ought to put impact first let's look at that and i yeah. think that's a lot of what these discussions are about between us we 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 see impact differently we measure it differently we sure oh, study yeah. different bodies of evidence so to speak yeah yeah even though even the way we think about evidence is quite different but that's all about impact ultimately um yeah. and then and then the intention and I, i'm wondering if this is even some of the ways you hold like even emotional responses you know kind of what was the maybe validity or the intention of that emotional response um which I hold differently. I just feel like, well, hey, you know what? Emotions, they are what they are, Brendan. I, I don't know. <laughs> emotions are emotions, bro. <laughs> yeah. um, and you got to feel what you're going to feel. Yeah. Um, I'm telling you, man, zoom in. Emotions are a whole bunch of things. Yeah. <laughs> so, so to me, it's like, let's look at impact and let's not throw out intention. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Well, the, and the, this is the funny thing. Impact can determine the thing I'm constantly interested in, which is appraisal of intention. So if someone's intention, for example, is constantly A, and they're like, I'm doing A to produce B, and C keeps getting produced no matter how many times they do it, at some point, you can say, okay, you just won't give up. You've got the can-do attitude. You can say um, you're literally insane. You're the screenwriter's definition of insanity, which is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Um, or you are like, no, you're just off your mark. You know what I mean? Oh, you you almost got it. You know what I mean? There's so many different ways. Whatever, I, I can go on and on. There's many different things you could assume, but intention uh, is. This is why I agree with you, though, that uh, impact is uh, very helpful for determining the accuracy of what intention is. Because intention is very, again, just like emotional response, it's very difficult to prove. So all we have is the information we're able to like discover, right? And then for, you can kind of rely on first person testimony, but we know that's only reliable to a particular percentage, to a particular degree. Um, we don't always, and especially in the stuff we're talking about in terms of like what cancel culture usually comes to cancel, which I think is fascinating by the way, that cancel culture doesn't focus on things like um, that are much more easy to understand. That blows my mind. Like for example, just this week, I know this by the time it's come out, it'd be different, but this week, uh, the WHO, the World Health Organization, yes, the dubious organization, but whatever, released a report on the pandemic, first two years of the pandemic, uh, 5.4 million estimated deaths with COVID, right? That's just like a, hard statistical reality. Those people died and COVID was somehow involved. We don't know if COVID killed them or COVID was just there, but we know COVID was involved with the deaths of 5.4 million people in the 
tabulation of excess deaths from 20 to 22. That's just math, man. You know what I mean? And that, you know, of course, I'm already speaking to subtleties of it, but, you know, it's like, oh, that's nice. That's solid. Um, but they, they mentioned um, there were uh, 10 million other excess deaths <laughs> during this pandemic period not related to COVID. Now, depending on the headline, many headlines are like 15 million people have died because of the pandemic. That's objectively false. We know the pan pandemic means a, uh, a virus, literally pandemic means a virus that is spread out of the whole world, right? That virus was involved with 5 million, 5.4, but 5 million of those deaths. 10 million, well, what in the world happened there? My best understanding, like just the easy knee jerk before, I'm not, we don't have to dig into it on this episode, but I just think this is a good example. Uh, 10 million then of those deaths are not COVID related. Most tenably, and we've seen this throughout many studies to show a lot of the bulk of this, that is from people responding to COVID. I would say most dominantly, because this was not really a people by the people led response. This was a government led response. So this is due to government response to COVID. Um, twice as many people, 10 million people died versus 5 million of COVID. So the more dangerous thing this past two years, what definably to human life was what governments did, not COVID, right? So that's powerful and very important to understand. Um, this We've seen this throughout. This is not a surprise. Um, it, what's a surprise is people keep reporting it falsely. And I think that's so weird because um, it's all right there, right? Now, I don't know. I didn't know who tabulated all that sort of stuff, but we have a definable thing where, oh gosh, that to me, is like such an easy uh, harm, like in, uh, uh, what's the word? Intent and what's the uh, opposite one, the way you phrased it? Impact. Uh, impact, that's like a negative impact, right? So then you can go, okay, let's cancel the, let's cancel all the governments, right? <laughs> For example, uh, let's cancel every government that was especially egregious in this area. And you can track that back to intention that if the intention was that, if the intention really was to protect us from the 5 million deaths, and yet it killed 10 million, you do have to at least very seriously question, is, was that intention real? Is that really the intention? Because that's, the harm is so outsized as compared to, I mean, that's literally like, I was trying to save these two people from the car wreck and you killed uh, three people of the four in the car wreck while taking them out of the car. You'd have to be like, and it wasn't, yeah, they did the autopsy and everything. No, it was the way you took them out. You killed three of them. So were you really trying? Maybe, maybe you were just freaked out and you panicked or whatever, but you have to go, I don't know. I can't assume your first person intention of trying to protect people was legitimate. But anyway, no, but, but no one cancels that, which I think is fascinating, right? Because it's like, it, I, I don't know. And is it the obviousness of it? Is the fact that people, and this is, we can, sorry, I'll hand it back to you. But like, this is part of my adjudication of what cancel culture is about. It's about people acting as judge, jury, executioner, and even in some ways acting as like independent godlike figures, like Olympic, Mount Olympus, uh, you know, Zeus, Zeusian figures, where they get to adjudicate in the areas that may appear gray. So when things are much closer to black and white, like this is impactful in a like a horrendously harmful way that people are way more like, mm, uh, okay, because there's really nothing to be said about it. You know what I mean? You're like, oh yeah, that was terrible. I, I'm not needed here. My godlike powers of adjudication are not needed here. But in anywhere that's like seems confusing, people are like, hold on, let me, I'm gonna save the day here. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm, 
drawn back to the how we started today with that quote uh, about life life affirming and yeah 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 you know gosh there are a few things coming up one is um just the nature of intention i mean everything i've learned about our psyche and the subconscious and how how many arguably the majority of our behaviors are really these subconscious programs that are running these little like subroutines uh, <laughs> yeah so you know, I don't want to like let us off the hook, but but are we? What are we talking about? Is it conscious intention, which is yeah, I, I can state this, and and that's actually a very good practice I've learned in accountability culture. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. almost like in pool, like calling the last shot, being like, I mean, I'm I'm the king of like slop shots in pool, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, it did it made it in somewhere, but I did not intend that whatsoever. Yeah. And I like playing slop uh, just because it's more fun for me. <laughs> but, uh, yes. but you know, in the big leagues, they they don't do that because it's like, no, no, no. You have to clearly state the intention in order for that to count. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And the other piece, just going back to the quote about being life affirming, you know, what are, and it's, gosh, it's, 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 <laughs> I mean, obviously, uh, there's so many different opinions about well, what 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 is the intention behind this, and there's a number of um, I can't remember if we've developed uh, agreed upon language for this, but let's say conspiracy theories about the intentions of any number of groups or governments or whatever yes. behind yes. it or in the vaccines and all this. And but what is what I'm more interested in, I, I think, right now is based on that data, which seem which seem clear. Now we have an opportunity to, to demonstrate the intention in a way, if the intention was truly life affirming and death producing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, are, yeah. are we now behaving in a way that where we're gonna learn from that and, and like look at that squarely? Or are we gonna yeah. basically stay in the, 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 the trough of this narrative that I think has guided a lot of how governments have responded and how we've, you know, cause it seemed, it, it almost feels like we we grabbed on to a few <clears throat> ideas maybe early on yeah and we were afraid to adjust those like there was this fear that like well we need to feel we need to seem stable we need to seem like we're in control we need yeah. to you know, that's what's going to make people feel you know confident and yeah like, I, I don't i don't think people i mean government trust is like at an all-time low <laughs> well i don't know if it's all time <laughs> but it's very very low yeah 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 well it is yeah that is interesting in terms of yeah of of, of heeding uh intention as stated as opposed to i i think my okay no here at least let me stop trying to talk my way into it provocatively responding simply to what you said my general assumption just to speak to my own point of view and mind is to not assume intention i try not to assume intention as to why something's doing even if someone says something i'm i'm not immediately going to be like oh well that was their intention then you know what i mean i think obviously i've come from like a writing creating art background and the author's intention in writing their book is not critically as a reader it's not that important and actually most of the time throughout most of the training that i've ever received in, as an artist they're like your intention is great that's good for you that's good for you that is what once your things out there 
I mean, th there's a case to be made. You shouldn't even tell people what your intention is. Like, right. just what, what, how, how do they absorb it? And you also don't have to defend it. I think he had just very bad intentions with this. Cool. I think, I think he was trying to heal the world. Cool. You know what I mean? People can engage if they want, but ultimately that's, but I, I'm saying all that in terms of like my training. So that, that certainly talking, those are some of my subroutines. So then I don't assume people have, automatically people have good intentions. And then I try not to assume likewise that people have bad intentions. Although if I had to pick and someone had a gun to my head, I'd probably, I'd 60, 40 uh, uh, selfish intentions versus uh, magnanimous intentions is just based on my view of human nature. But in general, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. So then to me, I'm just like, let's start with the crime. <laughs> let's start with the crime, work backward through the, through the evidence and find, and then maybe figure out motive. I was like, I don't even really care about motive. You know what I mean? But some, to some people, and I, but I fully say all that recognizing I am the opposite of many people I've spoken to where they constantly, like, since this big harm has happened, they're like, yeah, but why, what are you saying? It was intentional that like, why would anyone do that? They're constantly asking that. And I'm like, you're getting, that's, to me, that is in the realm of pure conjecture. Like that's fun to do, but that's, that's what a conspiracy theory is. Trying to figure out the why. I don't know the why. I knew they did a harmful thing. If they did a, a drastically harmful thing, my safest intention is that they did what they intended to do. Like, if, for example, go back to Dave Chappelle. If Dave Chappelle pissed off a bunch of people, actually, I'm pretty sure that's what he intended to do. <laughs> And that's a completely legitimate, especially with what he's up to. That's literally his job. Um, it's to surprise people and shock people. He does it on purpose. That's what most of his punchlines are. And even if he hasn't shocked the part of the audience in the, in the setup, he's going to find a way to tweak it at the end to where you're like, oh, geez. Oh, okay. You know, he's, he's literally there to try to like get you uncomfortable, make you uncomfortable. That's, 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 that's his job, man. So people are like, that really hurt. Be like, okay. I mean, you're, that's like getting mad at a fighter for, for punching your favorite fighter in the face and it, you felt the pain. You're like, yeah, he's, he's there to punch people in the face, man. That's, 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 that's the gig, you know? And same with art too, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I did the sketch once, uh, it didn't make it on the album, but um, where it was like a Chuck Palahniuk style author who was doing a public reading and then someone in the crowd kept standing up and interrupting and screaming at him, stop touching me, stop touching me. That is, you're, you're violating my space. You stop touching me because the work he was reading was emotionally moving them and they didn't like that. And I was like, that's, you know, again, I come from that standpoint of like provocation of one another is, is pretty much, uh, you know, is, is largely what at least I'm here for, what I think a lot of us are really here for. Again, oh, like you talked about uh, when, before we started recording, intentionally or unintentionally though, the chosen teacher, what is it, the, a chosen teacher or an, uh, whatever, a spontaneous teacher, an unchosen teacher. You know, which you can't accuse Dave Chappelle of because you have to literally buy Netflix, press play, not press pause. You know what I mean? You can stop him at any time. Same thing with Twitter. This is, you know, we talked about this writ large. Unfollow, delete the app, done. Literally, they can't harm you anymore. You know what I mean? It's not, this is the weird thing about harm in terms of like narrative harm. And which I do think narratives can be harmful. So I'm not invalidating that. Um, but like, this is like, oh, when someone says a thing that makes me feel a way that is that, that is harm. And I just think, of course, as, a, as an evidentiary uh, individual, I, I think that part is like super scary. That part frightens me as to how we would, how we could somehow arrange a society based on that. You know what I mean? Based on mere perception of harm, not evidence of harm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
and I think the well, I actually looked up this quote because I couldn't remember it exactly, but art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Yeah. Agree or disagree? Comfort the disturbed. Um, I mean, it's probably the disturbed. The dis I mean, I'm, I'm much more, let's, let's, you can just go ahead and disturb uh, everybody. But a good, but I think great, com that's what great comedy uh, does. I think that great art does is uh, it's got to take you through both of those elements. Um, and then it can just, this is the thing about art. Art kind of has an end. It can be ended by you walking away from the painting or finishing reading the poem, uh, or it could be manufactured by the person creating it. If it's a story or a, uh, a play or a movie or whatever, a stand-up special. Um, the, the artist decides the final note, which means the last note may be comforting. The last note may be intended to comfort all, which is kind of a prevalent thing. It kind of leave on a laugh that everyone can enjoy. Um, or it can leave very intentionally on a, I'm disturbing as many people uh, as possible note. That your, the quote's provocative too, though, uh, because we, I was just talking about this this morning. We live in a nation generally, like our country is profoundly comfortable. Like the poorest, most destitute people in the United States of America are, are so uh, resource uh, rich as compared to the destitute in many other countries. So I do think culturally, this is why I think the United States of America is like the capital of cancel culture because we are phenomenally comfortable. And I think we're, we live in fear of that comfort being taken away from us. Cause I think, I think most people kind of live with some degree of, uh, of, uh, of fear of privation, you know, even when they're in a good place. Yeah. I, or maybe especially when they're in a good place. <laughs> I, I agree with that. And at, at least they're an environmental lens. Uh, yeah. Just just something measurable. The, the, impact, <laughs> the, yeah, impact, the, the, the yeah. impact of our comfort in America is quite measurable. Yeah. And we, and we tend to offload that to the other parts of the world. I mean, we, we're killing ourselves too. So I guess there's that. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we do it. You do it to yourself. You do. Not like microplastics in the ocean aren't affecting us and all the other things. Um, I know, they're in our bloodstream now, man. It's crazy. I mean, I don't know if your, yours are mine, but they are in human beings' bloodstreams now. I'm just waiting for um, the mutant powers. I mean, that was that was That's... when they were like, there's nanobots in the vaccine. I'm like, then give me a double dose. I know, wait, you're saying I'm about to be a cybernetic being? Um, I didn't really enjoy uh, Vin Diesel's uh, adaptation of a bloodshot as that was called but that's pretty much his whole thing like he had nano, he had nanobots in his blood that could like heal him eventually kind of make him lose his entire structure and reform i mean yeah <laughs> so i went to loop, loop a couple of quick loopbacks um yeah there's there's something you you were saying about uh you would never in well it sounded like you didn't you don't care that much about intention generally which is a pretty neutral position uh, in you know a lot of the spaces uh, that that are in the network and the networks that I'm part of these yeah. these intimate, these intimate dialogue spaces these healing spaces a lot of what makes those uh, work well are agreements like okay we're gonna yeah. we're gonna all look at this way of being together in this space yeah yeah um, and there's some consistency but there's a lot of um, variation dare I say to, For, oh. to avoid the word nuance thank you. <laughs> You mean variation from space to space? Essentially? Yes, yes, okay, yeah. okay. just in terms of how they operate, but there's certainly some yep. consistent themes. But one of them that's I guess, somewhat lightly controversial is that uh, some spaces will say, assume good intent. 
Mm, yeah. And that is an agreement for being in this space that you assume that everybody here, and I think what that means is it's interesting. I almost feel like my interpretation of that is not necessarily what I would consider good intent, uh, yeah. but at least not intending to harm you with my words. Yeah, yeah. Or even bent like, oh, it's, I mean, honestly, once you introduce the word good, it's so difficult. And then you have to assume, I mean, if I read that, this, again, I'm, um, I'm both a literalist and I love words. I was like, my difficulty with that immediately, not difficulty, well, my difficulty is then I would have to bring it to someone who, who came up with it and be like, again, what was your intention? <laughs> Tell me your intention for this word. What do you mean by good? How do you define good? And then uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> why why uh, assume good intention and then do you mean that from a, my assumption if i didn't ask and just avoided that conversation which i might do i think a lot of people might do is oh i assume they mean that from a relativistic point of view meaning whatever you you define it for you like an art thing you know it's good whatever you think of is good you know now that's super harmful because if someone comes in and they're like what i consider good and i I could be a harmful person in that space, um, is uh, depending on how people agree to it, is that everyone has a different relative definition of what good is, if you, if you allow it to be relative. So then <clears throat> people will immediately come into quite a bit of discord around an agreement like that. Because I would say good is what provokes people and makes them question themselves and their reality. And other people would be like, good is something that is non-disruptive, slowly, piece by piece, putting Lego blocks to build a wall or, you know what I mean? Whatever the metaphor might be. So people can absolutely have, just by putting that, putting something like good without defining what good is. I'm like, oof, oof. This is why I default to neutrals a lot of times. Cause I was just like, it's such a long conversation. Now I love having long conversations, but I've, I've realized many people do not. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the intention uh, with that agreement also is to try to curb the tendency the defensive posture, the defensive reaction to when we do feel provoked, tr triggered or harmed. Yeah. To, to attack, to say, why did you do that to me? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I believe in the responsibility of words being said here and, and that having that carrying an energy and that affecting people. And I bear some yes. responsibility and like that happening because I was part of it. Yeah, and I also and I also have worked pretty consistently to eliminate the language of like you made me feel this way. Yeah, because I I I feel like there can be stimulus, but I oh, at the end of the day, like my, uh, my feeling is my feeling, and I don't really I don't believe we make each other feel. Things. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I would. I would not introduce nuance to that, but I would introduce a series of miniature binaries that we could use to evaluate and that we would have to be like, oh, okay, well, here's almost as you move it along inch by inch or incrementally increase the, the perception of harm and then the evidence, it's all about evidence, man, the evidence of harm. Like, is there evidence of your causing someone to feel something? Because I truly believe you could even make, because you could take that argument all the way over piece by piece, uh, you know, uh, pixel by pixel to uh, me punching you in the face doesn't cause you to feel pain because we know there are certain meditative practices that can literally absent, can literally disconnect at least temporarily you from your, from your, um, from your ability to, to sense pain in any relevant fashion. Um, 
that to me would be too extreme. Uh, for example, you know what I mean? So if you're intent, if you are literally naming someone and using words that are generally accepted, semantically defined as things that are uh, harm, uh, I shouldn't say, that are not uh, the opposite of life-giving, that are trying to kill that particular individual, that are, uh, um, that are not, because you can be corrective of a person and being like, you're, you're, you keep, whatever, you keep, uh, what's a good example? Like uh, Eileen, you keep um, calling, you know, uh, Keith an asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? Please, like you keep doing it over and over again. You're highlighting that. They might not like it. You're, you're, you're intentionally uh, highlighting that person and, and even imbuing, using shame to me in the binary. That's allowable. Is that a yes? No, that's a yes. But if you were, if you kept being like, Eileen, you're an asshole. Eileen, you're an asshole. Eileen, you're an, you're an asshole. Then at some point, you're like, I think it goes beyond just like the co-creation responsibility where you are, you're, you are actually aggressively engaging in language uh, that almost can, almost can only be generally perceived as ill, as ill-intentioned or as, uh, as with the intention to harm, because we can't assume harm is ill-intentioned either. Um, so that like, this is this, you know, this whole thing, like with evidence, this is a great thing. Like once you have a, if you have video of something, if someone punches something, you're like, well, we can at least all agree that's harm, right? Now, whether that's acceptable harm or all that stuff, we can talk about it. Why were you punching them or whatever? But I think there are versions, as far as I can understand it, with our words that would be like, you're not making them feel attacked or you're not making them feel bad or making them feel defensive, but you certainly are trying to make them quite specifically in that moment, trying to make them feel, feel that. Does that make sense? Come on, Eileen. <laughs> I know, Eileen. That's so funny. I, I literally have no. I have like no. I was just thinking about a name that like I have no bad feeling. I don't know anybody named Eileen who's ever done any. I know a bunch of Eileens, but they're all lovely people. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I can use that name without having some sort of like fuel behind it. Yeah. No, and and, and you're right. I mean, even even in the the, the hopefully uh, light roasting of of learning that you don't like the word nuance. Yeah, I mean, that's an example, you know, and I, to me, compassion yeah. at an interpersonal level is, is learning what, what does trigger somebody and, and doing my best to avoid that because it, I, I understand that they're, they're going to potentially react to a certain, I don't know, uh, certain words, certain ways of being, certain actions, certain things. Um, and I suppose compassion then scaled up to a systems level means, hey, how can we reduce the amount of harm that happens because a system was designed a certain way? Uh, which sure, actually sure. a quick loop back to something you you mentioned about um, the narrative, like oh, I can just I can just unfollow and I can do all that. I think yeah, yeah. The, the counterpoint there is that, uh, and yet if if there are dominant narratives that are just being um, snowballed in those environments yes. that, that particularly for marginalized folks maybe are harming them at large and they're because mm -hmm. they're reinforcing the systems or they're you know in some other way but that might not be an opportunity there might not be the opportunity um to to just yeah to the, the to cancel that access and cancel that impact mm -hmm. oh the, yeah the eventual impact yeah the, th the three, it's just always harder to demonstrate whether that's, I, I agree with you. Um, I just weigh, it's such a longer conversation <laughs> to, to find out what isn't the nuance. You know what I mean? Um, 
in that you'd have to then, because then you have to demonstrate not only in the initial harm, which is already very, very difficult, and then, but to then to do the, let's say the two to three degrees it might take to actually reach that person is, now, yeah. now again, I'm not, I would, I actually think your, your reasoning, I, I'm not, I'm not in any way invalidating it. I'm just saying, oh yes, that is totally true. Um, and it's, it's, mon it becomes monumentally difficult to figure out if that's happening or not. Right. Um, the direct I, harm versus perhaps indirect. Yeah. Th yeah. Three to three to four degrees. Cause then you have to prove harm four times over. And at that point, I'm just saying statistically, I was like, I don't, it's, it's, it's not impossible, but it's unlikely. I mean, that's like relay race levels of coordination in order to actually in like a connect all those tissues that this is the person it's such a even just in the game of whatever as kids we play the game of telephone to kind of like it's a fun game but it also i mean it's a great game i don't know if kids play that game anymore because they have actual smartphones but it's a great game kids uh, the game of telephone for people who might not know uh is where you sit i think often in a circle or a line and one person says a hopefully a simple phrase or sentence uh whispers it in the person of the ear uh, the person's to the next to the left or right of them depending on which whatever i'm not uh you can choose whichever there's a gray area i don't care i don't care which binary you uh, pick of right or left um and you whisper it in their ear and they keep going the same direction whispering in the next person's ear what they heard and then it comes back to the person who said it uh, in the circle uh, and quite often you'll note, unless a group is especially coordinated or excellent listeners, it's a great exercise to actually see how good a listener a group is, um, listeners, group, uh, people in the group are, and it comes back to your ear as a completely different thing, mm -hmm. very often. And that is just a fun little game that we used to play like straight up on the playground. You'd be like, oh, you wanna play telephone? Okay, and you'd sit down and play telephone two or three rounds and then the recess bell would go. It teaches you like a vital, every good game teaches you vital life lessons, but that is a vital life lesson in how information kind of flows from person to person. And so just using the game of telephone theorem, um, yeah, to demonstrate three or four layers of harm is like, oh gosh, who, who even knows? You know, you'd be able to, and this is even the, we'll talk about this whenever we get into more like white supremacy stuff is like when you get from actual white supremacy, meaning believing that white people are, are a race or of any relevance and that we, are, uh, we, if I'm included amongst them, which I may or may not be, it's, I guess it's kind of up to me, um, then uh, that is an evolutionarily superior race, essentially, um, much like uh, the nation of Islam. Uh, is a black supremacist. They believe that white people were made by Yakub, the big headed scientist. I don't even kid you, this is for real. Um, and that, so they were literally a sort of a mongrel um, hybrid race between higher beings and lower beings, sort of like demon, somewhere between a demon and a human. Um, so, and likewise, white supremacy, which is, uh, there are practitioners of throughout uh, US history that, you know, believe that white people were superior, um, like innately because of some sort of I don't know, evolutionary DNA. So there's some Darwinian elements, but all sorts of things. Just say that we're, we're literally better than people who are darker than us. Um, and then that can play the game of telephone. And by the time later, you're like, you know, three degrees later, we can be in some forms of modern white supremacy or things that are actually white supremacy's grandchildren, no longer white supremacy, because they are, if we, like if a system advantages white people, then it is explicitly not white supremacists because white, white people don't need advantages because they are supreme. So then if, but if you build a system to advantage white people, it may be because you're two degrees, two generations previously informed by white people are supposed to be on the top because we're the best. And then once you look around, you're like, we're not on the top anymore. We better get back there. Then, you know, I mean, that's, that's, it's like, you can tenably go, oh, I can see how that would be connected to white supremacy. But as it gets farther and farther, you're like, 
it's so hard to even figure what 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 things are about anymore. Yeah, let's unpack most of that on another show. Yeah, but, but I think the the way the way I connect those is to say, well, demonstrably, <clears throat> we this country was founded and its founding documents were written by folks who clearly believed in white supremacy. It was written into the constitution. Um, the black folks were three fifths of a person. So yeah, that enshrined a certain perspective that I think, that I think we're still in some ways living under. Um, but let's loop back. Um, there were a couple things coming out of last week which is why we decided to do a part two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of which we've, we've touched on. <clears throat> but one was, um, I was just thinking about, well, well, why? Like, why is why are we so terrified of being canceled? <clears throat> and oh, and yeah. I, to me, it, it has a lot to do with belonging. You know, I, I hold belonging as like our most bi deeply biological need. Um, yeah. Because whether we whether we like to like to admit it or not, <laughs> perhaps especially in America, we really need each other, and of course we are interdependent in many ways, and uh, it's, yeah. it's impossible to pretend we're not. Like I I don't know how to grow all the food I eat, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, most of it, um, and uh, I can't remember if I mentioned it here, but uh, Gabor Mate does a lot of trauma work, and like just it's such a simple and pro I think profound framing. It just says, look, I mean everybody needs basically two things authentic expression and belonging and and most of us have traded our authentic expression for belonging somewhere along the way and mm. that that for a lot of people that happens in the family unit in childhood right yes yeah, yeah, for like, sure oh if i don't assimilate to this whatever's happening in this house i, I showed up in whew, that that's going to be bad news i'm not going to get access yeah. to anything i need <laughs> um yeah well, yeah. that's well. Yeah. How interesting is that? That speaks to particular parenting styles too, though. You know what I mean. Whereas then, like, if you're not acceptable, somehow you will be deprived. It's fascinating. Whereas, like, I've I've uh, I've lived around people who both my parents are nonconformists in general. So then, like, if I if my parents were mad at me, I was like, my parents love me. Like, I could super piss them off. I'm still getting dinner. I could literally, you know what I mean. I could right. be I could be in as much pop. So I have no. So I know I, I know I come from that place where like I was I was constantly unmoored. So I was constantly in a state of like needing to recover and and control my space. But I was under no under no concern of being abandoned. Ultimately, you know what I mean. And even if they stop yeah. loving me for twenty four hours, then I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right. Same, same here. I often yeah, yeah, wonder yeah. that is probably my greatest privilege in, is growing up in a household like oh. that. Yeah, sure. oh, sta yeah, stable family life, we, we know statistically is actually one of the most profound, like having two parents in the home who love you is one of the most profound statistical privileges um, that we can get, yeah. Yeah, and, and tragically, I mean, as far as we've come with, you know, um, gay rights as, as one thing to point out, uh, tragically, there are still a lot of families that cancel, you know, uh, gay or trans uh, children in particular. Who are attempting yeah. to come out, and that's there's a lot of homeless uh, yeah. uh, populations, and 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 or or even suicides uh, because of that. Yeah, um, which is interesting. I didn't exactly intend to go there, but it, but that is an <laughs> extreme and a very extreme, very personal, extraordinarily heartbreaking um, version of cancel culture. Um, but yeah, and it gets to the realm of it, but I think it's a great thing to highlight because it gets to the realm of just accountability. <laughs> 
with within because family units, like you said, are foundational, right? And so if any of those things, there are make or break rules in every single family unit. You know what I mean? There are absolutely families I know who uh, I had friends who were like into drugs early or whatever. And the parents were like, if I catch you doing drugs again, you're out of the house. Or kids who were like, if a kid, it was like, if you ever steal from me, you're sleeping on the streets for the night. You know what I mean? Or other people might be like, if you, uh, like if you called your mother the B word or whatever, you would be struck <laughs> and you might be like, you're out, like literally you're gone. You're out of here. I've been kicked out of schools too. I've never kicked out, I have not been kicked out of my home although I sort of left my home under some degree of duress when I was 16, but I uh, and moved in with another family member. So it was fine. Uh, it was all good. It, was, it wasn't actually that traumatic at all, but I've uh, been kicked out of school is relatively traumatic for that, for that same thing. So I'm like, those dynamics are really interesting, but just like in, in your space, the work in the space you're talking about, if you violate that agreement, ultimately, like you would be canceled from the space, you'd be removed from the space. And that's the, the wild thing that can happen with like, so then some families would be like, which is, this is the part that doesn't make any sense. If someone comes out to you and is like, I'm gay. And you're like, you have to go. <laughs> I was like, that would be like, to me, I was like worse. Cause I, listen, I, 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 I don't know if I know anybody who would do that, but I certainly know people who know people who know people would do that. Um, so, uh, I'm far more adjacent to it than, than probably you would be. Um, although three degrees is pretty far anyway, who knows, maybe everyone is. But uh, to me, that's like, I, I don't understand. How, that, to me, that seems like outside of the binary. That's a violation of the appropriate binary. That's in the black, that's, not, that's, that's, that's evil, not good. Um, in that, even if, you have a, even if you think that's wrong and that's a violation intentionally, that's a violation of intention, but there's no outcome. There's no outcome of the statement of your intention. For example, if you're like, I'm having thoughts about, let's, let's say if someone equated it, uh, this isn't even equal. It doesn't matter if it's equal. Um, I'm, I have thoughts about killing you guys when you sleep. Mom and dad, I have thoughts about killing you when you're asleep. Would you immediately just be like, get out of my house and you can never be here again? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if you would, honestly. I, I wouldn't be shocked if some of the same families and this is, this is, again, this is making a lot of assumptions and uh, potential accusations of hypocrisy. I mean, this is an invented family, y'all. These people don't literally exist. This is an invention. But I would assume the family would be like, well, let's work through this. <laughs> you know what I mean? You wouldn't be like, you're sleeping out. You're, you're literally, your house, you're unhoused now. If, if the kid actually killed one of them or something, you know what I mean? Actually followed through on an intention. But the statement of, of sexual desire doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? I think many of those same households would be like, if their if their if their kid came to them and like, I uh, I'm heterosexual and I really want to have sex with my girlfriend, right? <laughs> and the parents would be like, Yeah, yeah, okay. If he did it, they're like, Well, that's you don't you can't do that. Or you're out of the house. That's the rule of the house. Okay. Then they've again they've with that's. That uh, that's ultimately, if you've stated the rules clearly enough, that's just and they're and they're agreed upon essentially. Or if you're, I guess, if you have enough, uh, we'd have to figure out like what age parents are still like in in their sort of judicial role as like arbiters. Um, if then you acted on that and had sex with your girlfriend, heterosexually had sex with your girlfriend, a lot of those same families would kick that kid right out of the house. So for me, that anyone coming out and getting kicked out of the house doesn't make a dang bit of sense. Like there has to be action. All you're stating at that point is intention. So if it has to be, to me, there has to be action in order for accountability to even be involved. You know what I mean? This, to me, that's like minority report stuff. Like, oh, then I know you're gonna do something that I say you can't do. 
They're like, no, you don't. You like, you literally don't, you know what I mean? So that's, that. it's not life. To me, it's not, not life-giving because life, love and life-giving activity can absolutely be rebuke, can absolutely be punishment. Like a just punishment is absolutely loving, but it has to be an appropriate and just punishment. Like if it's, if it's, if it's not, then it's, then it's literally, it's death giving, you know? It's funny. I, I can't make the connection now, but there something about one of our conversations reminded me of minority report as well. I have a feeling we may be revisiting it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Science fiction, man. Science fiction tells the truth. Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot in that premise of, of we're going to, punish people based on these other people claiming they know the future. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, it'll come up in our abortion conversation as well. Yeah. It, it comes up in a lot. It comes up in so many different, different areas. But again, so much, this is also how we perceive reality too. So I, I understand that it's difficult. I'm not just like, oh my gosh, a bunch of jerks. You're like, no, you're constant. We're constantly playing out probabilities and likelihoods based on statistical analysis of like scientific evidence or of common, whatever we perceive intuitively, common sense-ish, you know what I mean? We're all, uh, we're all trying to do something. <laughs> I wouldn't have to say we're all trying our best, but we're all trying to do something. <laughs> it's as you're far as gonna, I'm You're not gonna give in to the good intention. Um, who could have predicted, for instance, that, that there'd yeah. be another, another Top Gun movie? Uh, speaking of Tom Cruise. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, 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 after five years passed, I would not have. I think that the, the betting odds would have plummeted so who knew? Who knew? We didn't know. And here it is. And here we are. Uh, well, one thing uh, kind of came up in my reflections from last week was uh, just admitting that I, I have historically not been very good at apologizing. I mean, it, it is, I think one of the, my challenges, one of my very personal challenges in this space is I, I don't like hurting people. I really don't. I'm, yeah. I'm this sort of peacemaker. I want to get along with everybody. And I'm not saying that to, to absolve myself of the, of the harm and the impact I've had on folks at all. And I've learned a lot of very hard lessons about apologizing. Yeah. Um, and hopefully I've gotten better at it, but I, I, that's, I think that's the, the crux of a lot of this. It's just yeah, not willing to admit, because I, I, and I believe, I'd like to believe, because I often like to assume good intent, I, I believe because we are loving beings that are, that are, I think, our core, which actually, that's funny. There may be a difference between us. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, is, 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 do I have this right? You, you believe perhaps humanity is, is malevolent, reaching towards a loving God. Is that uh, sort of accurate? No, I mean, uh, the, the, the literally, like, I mean, I, I can state my own personal beliefs as separate from the sort of, like, Christianity 101 for anyone who's listening, just as an informative bit. Uh, but essentially Christianity 101 is sort of built on what's called the depravity of man, which is uh, the Bible verse of like, no one seeks after God, no, not one. Um, and that uh, you've probably, people have probably heard this, that like uh, humankind is essentially sinful. Now sinful means uh, to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye. Um, so uh, there, I would suggest, my personal belief then is that there are certain are degrees of attempts to be uh, uh, listen according to one's conscience, like heed one's conscience and do that which is beneficial or that which is lovely even, um, but that our essential disposition is the opposite of uh, good intention in, in many ways. That literally not only are we misfiring off of, the, off of the bullseye, that quite often we're actually aimed the opposite direction. Um, and we can occasionally like in our, in our 
our waylay, send arrows back at the bullseye just because we're terrible at shooting bows and arrows. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, but no, essentially we have uh, uh, um, nothing in ourselves that is essentially uh, divinely perfect for sort of like be holy for I am holy is kind of like the big like command of God or whatever, biblically speaking. Um, so yeah, in some ways it would be foundationally, probably foundationally op opposite. However, the, I think the Venn diagram of what we both is I think people actually do attempt because of some innate made in the image of Godness, some sort of, I think conscience is kind of a gift of God that we have. Um, we also have systems even built into our bodies that are, that chemically reward us for, um, for munificent behavior. So I wouldn't, the, the depravity, the like total depravity thing is actually sort of meaning totally depraved as compared to perfection, as opposed to total depravity means, I, it does not mean we are the worst that we could possibly be. You know what I mean? And like innately, we're all, we're not constantly also like working only for like the most selfish and malevolent things, but that everything we do is syncretistically blended with selfishness against the thing you're talking about, like with belonging, you know what I mean? We might do all these wonderfully beneficial things to other people, but ultimately if it's rooted in, in any fundamental way to our sense of belonging, then it's, it, then it is kind of based on fear and self-service, like fear of being on the outside where it can get into cancel culture, right? Cause you're like, ah, oh, I'm signaling, I'm part of the group where, yeah, go get them, go get them, go get though you know what i mean but you're changing your outfit real fast to look like everyone else and being like yeah get the monster you know what i mean th th those sorts of aspects if, the, if that kind of answers the question and tries to bring it back to what you were saying <laughs> yeah beautifully so and weaving in some of your your outlook philosophy cosmology as i've yeah up. yeah um so so yeah i think i don't know if there's too much more to unpack there but just admitting my own journey around yeah apologizing and uh, yeah I, I like and who you are who I am and and yeah. for me it's true and and I hold I perceive in others that it is true and, and I think it's one of the you know we have a lot of examples of this I mean I think the we could have a whole episode about white fragility as a concept but this idea that folks are going to react poorly when they've been called out when, when somebody else says I've been harmed. So one version of white fragility might show up like, like, oh, I'm never gonna admit I did harm, racial harm. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think the, the depth there is that I didn't wanna harm you. I think that's what's underneath it. And then, and then tragically by not meeting that person and by not apologizing, we're at least not healing the harm, maybe even causing more harm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to, I used to hate that too. Uh, um, I, whatever, I think we're all, hopefully anyone who's being intentional about their existence is, is on the same, can relate to your trajectory and maybe somewhere, somewhere sort of farther along the journey or, or way, way behind you in the journey. But like, I think that's, a, that's an excellent trajectory to, to be exploring. And I think it is fundamental to this. Again, the thing you're talking about too is not only like what part of the group, like am, do I belong in this group of people who are like this, which is kind of related to identity. And then in, in myself, the way I self-identify, like, am I, and I, again, I think cancel culture is part of this where people are sometimes fueled by something they're actually offended by. And then often I think the reason it rises up and becomes like problematic and harmful and not life-giving, uh, like the quote at the beginning was talking about is people get caught up in, oh, wait, I, I think I want to be the kind of person who is mad about a thing like this. You know what I mean? So in some ways it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a vision board. They're like vision board. I get mad when people say these things or use this word or say these jokes or 
whatever talk talk some some people even talk about certain subjects you know, like or say straight obviously in our culture say certain words there's literally i mean i could it's there's one really dominant word that like you just can't you just can't say unless you're you have to be and even then people don't always agree on like which groups can say it and can puerto Ricans say it or can they not say it or you know when, when six nine says it, when six nine says it because that's what he's always said you're like oh well it's part of his culture yeah but we don't i thought we were just saying that like only black people can say it and blah, you know what i mean we're we're, we're in a world of conundrum and plenty of people just re respond being like, I think this is how my group responds. And then some people do, I think more fundamentally what you're talking about is I, in some ways this is beautiful. I want to be a kind of person who is so sensitive as to recognize when harm has been done and I, when recognize when I have caused the harm. And I'm a super curious, for me, just to contrast with you, I'm a super curious person when it comes to things I need to apologize uh, for, which can be exhausting. It's, I think it's partially, it's syncretistic. It's, it's a blend of um, truly wanting to know what the actual thing is so I can know exactly what to apologize for. It is syncretistic, if I'm honest. Uh, it is syncretistically blended with uh, a desire to delay the apology in analysis um, because I think I've done, I've absolutely uh, regretted how long it took me to apologize for things. I have absolutely regretted in my life apologizing for things I shouldn't have apologized for. Both are, both are monumentally harmful. We see this with cancel culture all the time. And this is, to me, this is a, a tenant I hold to be completely factual. Um, it is as harmful as the sort of rising of, let, let's say, an unjust, an unjust accountability. Because um, I, I truly believe there can be examples of both. Again, I'm not, I haven't answered the question yet, but there are, let's say it's an unjust accountability example of which there are, certainly are some. When the person who has been unjustly called to task apologizes, it is as harmful as the mob trying to cancel them. Like it is, because all it does is validate that experience uh, and it validates that behavior. You know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of like with children. Um, my, my sister is, um, what's the word? Neuro, neurodivergent. Uh, she's on the spectrum. Um, and she, I was reading the other day cause she's, she like attacks people sometimes she's nonverbal. And so she gets upset. And when she's upset, she's, she realizes her, her most capable weapon are her claws and her fists and her biting or whatever. So, um, which is awful. It's literal harm, you know, it leaves literal wounds and bleeding on people, um, but it's also somewhat understandable. But I was reading about how to deal with it because my whole thing is like, oh, you got to stop it and clamp it down and hold her tight and let her know she's okay and you love her and you know, that sort of stuff. And that's, a, that's an option. But I've been reading too that some of the, the best options are uh, to be non-reactive, which is not at all my, my instinct, my intuition, but to literally be like, but you have to, I think you have to do it early, but like when people attack you and like, they're just pretty much just trying to get a reaction. They're just like, I feel out of control. I want to feel control on you. I'm hurting you. So I feel more in control of the world, which is part of cancel culture. What, how we all lash out when we feel attacked. We're like, no, I attack you. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't off balance me. I off balance you, but to be non-reactive. So as they're doing this, you're just like, you keep chopping your onions or whatever you're doing. And that, and that will not stimulate or reinforce the behavior Pavlovian in Pavlovian response. Whereas if a crowd rises up and you apologize, then not only are they, they all riled up, but they're like, yes, see, we were right. So the next time they do it, they're gonna do it twice as hard. You know, even though, even though apologies, like you, you're, you know, I know, are in some circumstances, the absolute right thing to do and should is, is what accountability is about. I'm holding you accountable. And then you apologize. 
And then if you apologize, I get to forgive you. You get to be forgiven. And then we have started, we've actually started to heal out of this experience. We've all seen examples of in cancel culture, that's cancel culture, quote unquote. That's not really how it works. A lot of times people apologize and then they're like, good, now get out. And you're like, okay, well, that's, then you, then you weren't holding anyone accountable. You were literally just trying to punish. That's not that's not helpful. That's literally like spanking your kid and then being like, why did you spank me? And you're like, get out of here. I mean, what? That doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? So, but the, the apology, no, it's, it's just such a good point because it is part of, it's, it's the path to further destruction improperly done. And if done right, it is, it is the crux. It is, it is the absolute like necessary element to heal out of this process communally. You know, just when you've done, when you've done wrong, say you're sorry. That is, that's, it's the best. <laughs> and going back to that, that what I was saying about compassion, right? It's like, even if it's hard, even if I don't want to admit that I did it, even if it doesn't make any rational sense whatsoever, yeah, that me existing here and, and doing or saying something led to this thing over here, yeah. that, that that ultimate act of compassion to say, you know, I, I, one thing I've learned about apologies is just start with some version of like, I, I see you, I hear you. Yeah, I, I, and, but it's got to be true and genuine. I mentioned that that case last week where yeah. essentially it was, a, 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 I was asked to sort of be forced to apologize. Um, yeah, strongly, yeah. strongly encouraged. <laughs> yes, there you yeah. go. <laughs> and it just, it was a mess. And I don't think anybody left that room, uh, you know, feeling healed. Um, and I, no. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to take, all the responsibility for that <laughs> just because my nervous system was totally frayed and destroyed in that moment and yeah well and, and if you're not if you all were you know? yeah well and if you're not convinced you can't apologize you know what i mean i think again this happens more in like celebrity culture but i was right. like you get, you get the sense that like someone drafted their apology for them or that when they do apologize, it's not real. Actually, this was on the morning show on Apple TV. It was in the second season. Oh, yeah, yeah. Someone went on the air and started apologizing and then was like, but I don't know. I mean, I don't want to. And they're like, well, you've got to. And of course, me in my seat watching that, I was like, what is wrong with you? No, he doesn't. Like, he literally doesn't. If he has not done wrong, he must. He literally must not apologize. You literally can't give that to someone because they don't, it's not, it's not part of the process. You know what I mean? They're not, they're literally trying to make a case out of something. Again, if there's no evidence, it's like, well, some groups are real mad about it. Why are they mad? Are they right to be mad? Are that you have, like, you have to adjudicate that. So we can't, uh, a false apology or for, you know, even a forced apology, which would eventually be real is still not going to be helpful because it's not, that's not what apology is. You know, apology is partially the ceremony of offering words and acknowledgement, I think is beautiful, a beautiful in-between. And this is the thing, sometimes people mix, connect them. And I think this is the danger. Maybe this will help people and maybe this will help me if I say this out loud. The connecting of acknowledging feeling and apology, I don't, there needs to be a period at the very least between those things. Because I've found that if you say, if let's say this is the only truth that you're able to perceive, uh, I'm sorry you feel that way. Nobody likes that. But the sad thing is that's as true as anything. So to me, if you're gonna acknowledge someone's feeling, acknowledge it till the cows come home. Let them know they're seen, let them know that you you understand what they're feeling. But if they're wrong to feel it, you can't say you're sorry because it's literally, you, you can't apologize for if you haven't done, if you haven't violated anything, then you actually have nothing to apologize for. 
You know what I mean? This is the same, you can't, again, you can't make people feel some way. There are times when you are responsible or, or, or definitely a, a dominant co-creator of, of creating someone's response, you know what I mean? And there are other times when you're simply not. And this is the thing when people on Twitter like demand public apo like apology as an individual basis, right? Like, you know, whatever, Shifty Shellshock uh, 1717 demands an apology from Elon Musk for, you know, weaponizing the Twitter mob to go attack the like lead head legal counsel. Um, hey, Shifty Shellshock, 1717, uh, you're not involved. Like Elon Musk doesn't owe you an apology. You're, you're, not, you're literally not involved in that process. If, if the harm has come to this lawyer and he agrees that in any way he was responsible for the people who harmed her, then he can go apologize. But like, like whatever, Dave Chappelle doesn't owe me an apology if he's like uh, offended me. That's, it's, I mean, unless he's literally talked about me, you know what I mean? <laughs> like me, if he's like, Brendan, you're, you're an asshole. A, I'd be so excited because that's like, he's a pretty famous person mentioning me in his stand-up thing. So I'd probably get a Wikipedia entry out of it at least. Um, but like, let's say that offended me. It's just like there, it's, it's I, I still can't necessarily, you have to, again, you have to, you have to demonstrate harm. And, and, and connecting the two can be really, really, really dangerous. But I love that you brought up acknowledging people's feelings because that's the place where I think they get confused and then people get real mad because you're like, that's not an apology. And you have to be like, oh, you're right, that isn't. Whereas you're like, what do you mean? I apologize for what? And you're like, oh no, you start a whole new fight. Whereas just like, just to be like, I don't, I often say I'm sorrowed. I'm sorrowed that you feel that way. Like I, 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 I feel the pain with you. I'm, like I, I feel sadness at your sadness and I feel sadness at your anxiety. I'm not sorry, I, I'm not apologizing because I haven't done anything wrong. You know what I mean? That's like literally, that's like confessing, oh, literally it's confessing to a crime you didn't commit. And which is harmful. I mean, that's, that's powerful. I, I, I even like the, the languaging there and like, I'm sorrowful. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel, I feel. Yeah, and some of the, Particularly, I just I just learned a conflict transformation practice from the authentic relating community, and that's in essence that's what it's about. Like, can we yeah. can we get past the the battle zone uh, of not actually wanting to face what's deeper? And often it is a yeah. sadness. Often it is a yeah, a, yeah. A, a sadness that that I'm here that that you're feeling this way that I was involved. Um, it's it's <laughs> yeah. I, as, as you were talking, I was like, oh, an example of a bad apology might be like, well, well, I'm sorry that you chose to invite me into your space and didn't fully yeah. uh, consider the implications of what uh, might transpire in the future because of who I am. Yes, yes. I mean, that is an exaggerated version for comedy effect and it is funny, but like, no, that, that absolutely, I'm sure I am almost positive I've done a, a mediocre version of that at some point in my life where like, I'm sorry, and it, and it kind of turns into, I'm sorry that you're like this around me. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean, kind of a thing. And oh, oh boy, I don't. Those are those are the kind of uh, things I've regretted. <laughs> I've regretted uh, saying that 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 way. That's not. That's not. Even if it's partially true, you know what I mean. Like, and that. But the thing is, you're not sorry. Like, sorry is not sorrow. Do you know what I mean? That like. So that's why I like sorrow because it sounds like sorry. Uh, and it's really like uh, maybe I can. Slide, don't feel I'm like. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I think I think yeah. I got a sorry good enough. As good as yeah. it's gonna get, I'm, I'm yeah. out. Yeah, but you can feel that for someone too. That like, oh man, I see that you, you probably have repeatedly chose people like me. So I'm sorrowed for you that you keep 
keep picking people like me. You, you, you enjoy be, and because people enjoy it and literally in, like it literally gives them the chemical responses of joy to be victimized. Um, I know I have aspects of that in myself. Absolutely. I've seen it in other people. It, it's, it's real. Um, I like, I like, I'm okay. Like, again, I like being punched in the face. It's like, as, as, especially if we're somewhat agreed upon being punching each other in the face, it's like, I like, I'm not opposed to the feeling um, and kind of like it. I like being punched in the face and be like, I used to do it as a kid, be like, you can slap me as hard as you can. And I'm gonna see how many times I let, that you slap me until I actually want to respond. You know what I mean? So like some of us, some of us have, have that instinct. So you can be sorrowed for someone's consistent bad choices, but then it's very important, I think, to stick the mirror on up and be like, I'm a bad choice. <laughs> I need to recognize. And that's the thing about apologizing is, and RT says this all the time to our kids, um, fundamentally, even if it doesn't work this way practically, when you apologize to your sister, uh, that means implicit in there is, I'm not going to do this again. Now you're a frail human being, so you probably will. But you, it's, it has to even go beyond, and I'll try not to do it again. No, your, your aim shouldn't be low. You know what I mean? Aim for perfection, hit slightly outside of perfection. I'm not going to do this again. When you start talking and I interrupt you, trying to compete with you, it's something our kids do, that like someone shares good news and they're like, oh yeah, well I, you know what I mean? Interrupt it. So then you basically said her voice wasn't important and you're trying to like push her down and wit. you're trying to like compete with her in, in her moment to just like enjoy her victory. Um, so then you're missing out too. This is like fundamental, like rupture of humanity. Then you're not like, you're not gonna do that again is what I'm sorry means. It doesn't just mean, oh, I acknowledge you're hurt. It means I, I've, I've made an error. I'm, I'm acknowledging my error. Therefore, my intention in the space is to learn my errors constantly and reduce them. Or as my prayer has often been, uh, Lord, help me make new mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I just came across an apology frame, framework on Instagram, which is the best place to learn these things. Hey, this it was sort of like it was, stuff. A, it was like acknowledge harm, uh, and and then um, it's funny. I'm like, what was the middle part? But anyway, it landed on <laughs> um, it landed on that. Like, how will I do this differently in the future? Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the past present future model. Makes sense, right? This happened back then. Now we're talking about it. Here's where I am now, and how how I'm how I'm responding and taking taking responsibility for what I do, and not taking responsibility for anything I don't. And then in the future, I will endeavor to respond this way, or even initiate this way, or whatever. I think it's it's good. It's so good, and we need to be. There need to be classes. I mean, I know you're you're literally in classes for this, <laughs> but, but like people need there need to be classes for this. Like we we need to learn the the system of demanding accountability. Uh, recognizing when accountability is appropriate or inappropriate, then responding in appropriate fashion. So we all can learn the, uh, what I know this is very super Christian 101 again, but like repentance and forgiveness is like the fundamental repair of the rupture with relationship with God. And I think it's the same thing for human beings. Repent means to like change your mind or kind of turn 180 degrees from where you are. So if you're running away from accountability, you turn around, you flip and face it. And then you, if you've done the wrong, if it's presented to you, you start by apologizing. And, and God in Christianity through Christ, through Christ sort of taking the punishment already, but like God then acknowledges your forget your apology and and then meets you with forgiveness. Like, despite the fact that he's no, you know, he's divine, he's perfect, he's made no errors. So even someone who's error free, which we as human beings are never, right? There's all, there's 
pretty much almost always. Yeah. I mean, besides you, Andy, everyone else on the planet, you know, I mean, unless we're in a situation where like someone's walking down the street and we've seen this or whatever with like Asian hate incidents or whatever, some like, some like little Korean lady walks by some dude and then he turns around and punches her in the back of the head or whatever, then yes, she was not in any way co-creating that scenario. But I think in most typical apology scenarios, we've all, we're all somewhat complicit, uh, in, in, involved in it somehow. Um, but that once you offer the apology, like there is the crux, there's the moment, what a great time to offer mercy as we would want to have mercy because we know we're going to mess up too, you know, and it, it creates a beautiful feedback loop of, of like real accountability and forgiveness. And man, we need it. I mean, we've talked about this in a bunch of different issues, but like how imperative for all these violations, ethical violations, societal on a societal scale or individual, how much we need to apologize and how much we need forgiveness. So we all, we all need it, man. More and more than we'd like to admit, I think too, like you're talking about, like I certainly am confessing to. Well, and I, I actually, was compelled to look this up. The holistic psychologist is the reference here on, on Instagram. Yeah. And this is actually hilarious. So yeah, one was acknowledge the other person's feelings. Yeah. Two, not shocking that I erased this from memory, take, resp <laughs> take responsibility. Yeah. Uh, and then three, acknowledge what will be different in the future. So yeah. I, think that's I love it. Yeah. Groovy, groovy little framework. And, yeah. and, and there are systems versions of this, right? Like reparation yes. is like a yeah. systems version of, ah, this whole system or group of folks, you know, harmed in some way this group and how can we, how can we actually yeah. account for that and in, in some ways atone for that. Um, yeah, well, that's the penalty, it, that's the penalty sort of part, yeah. And, and a lot of it, a lot of folks I talk to, especially black friends are like, the money is kind of the, the least of it. You know, I mean, I mean, yes, yeah. like generational wealth, obviously, a, 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 well, I would say obviously, um, I think statistically a very real challenge over the hundreds of years of America's growth and development. Um, and yet the the deeper part there is is like, let's not just throw money at this thing, but let's let's face it in the way that we attempt to do in this show. Let's face these realities that are complex and let's face who has been harmed and how, and look at the systems and what needs to be changed uh, yeah. and how can we change it. Yeah, well, that's a great example. I mean, we'll talk about that in a, a future show too. In that, like, the world of reparations is a great thing in terms of, like, as an example of uh, that restitution legally. This is the biblical law. This is like U.S. law. This is like interpersonal intuitive law. That restitution must be made for the average individual in a regular everyday apology. It's typically the restitution of the continued good behavior. You have to like, quote unquote, earn someone's trust back, that sort of thing. Um, but the restitution after apology, not preceding apology, never, never. Um, this is the problem with you were talking about uh, before we started recording of like getting money from the government um, to like help subsidize, you know, when they shut you down. And I was like, if you do that, but you don't apologize, that's th what they've done is monstrously damaging. You know what I mean? They didn't say, hey, sorry, we're shutting your life down. Here's some money. That's how it should, should go. Just like if your dad like lost his temper and screamed at you and then just took you out for an ice cream and then you write in your little auto, semi-autobiographical memoir. Um, and I knew th that ice cream sundae was his apology. No, you don't. That's him literally buying it up. That's making restitution without apology. You know what I mean? So reparations are then like would have to come post like post an apology. Now, in some ways, but then reparations are so difficult, which is why we should have a whole episode on reparations. Um, 
because the person who has done the harm, who initiated the harm, the ultimate, like they're all dead. The, initi the original initiators of harm. So then there's nobody to say, so it's only, it's purely ceremonial. Now I think ceremonial apologies can be healing. Um, I think all sorts of ceremonial conduct can be healing. Um, but it's a why it's, I understand why we grapple with it as a society. Cause we're like, I mean, all you can do, I mean, again, it's almost like finding out if someone stole, this is like a way small microcosm, but someone recently bought a bust on eBay for like $25. I think it's like New York Times story today. And it turned out to be like a semi-priceless artifact, like a museum artifact. And then they're trying to return it now to Belgium or whoever like previously owned it or whatever uh, before it was stolen from, you know, by Nazis for museum. I'm making up half of the story. The first half is true. Um, but like, you're like, oh, who do I, give this back to like this was stolen generations ago it doesn't belong to anyone it doesn't well it's like oh we found the family who owned it back then it doesn't necessarily belong to them either it wasn't theirs you know what i mean unless that person literally even left it do you even have a legal trail did you leave it to someone in their will you know what i mean do you automatically inherit your parents everything no <laughs> you know what i mean you don't like i, I don't we we certainly inherit all sorts of genetic dispositions or, or whatever, but like it's it becomes such a, a quagmire when you're like great egregious wrong has been done. There are there are elements that are still percolating now from that egregious wrong, and yet we're never we're not going to heal, really. It's not pot like there's no no amount of money it will heal. Do you still do it anyway? As to do to say sorry and do a right thing? There's there's a great case. I had an excellent argument for that, but it's not going to heal anything really, because no one can apologize. Like the people who, who, who uh, could apologize already did apologize and die. I have no idea who apologized and who didn't. It wasn't recorded. Um, but massively, uh, there was no apology. And then those people died. And then the people who they harmed died. And now we're all living in just like the just, just maelstrom of, of misery elsewise. So I say all this out loud, not just to be like, what a miserable world we're in. But since the thing you're talking about, and this is kind of the whole thing of having these conversations, these like hot takes serve cold, is now, right now, we have all these opportunities to invite apology, to ask for apology, to seek apology, to remedy these things while we're still alive. Let's, let's remedy these things, dishes as often as possible while they're still warm, you know? Let's not, we don't wanna wait. None of us are promised tomorrow, you know what I mean? And so, any like now 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 it's the only daniel day lewis impression i do from lincoln um but like now is the time now's the time to to, to apologize and to actually engage in that because we we've already seen what happens when you don't do that yeah and i i it's unfortunately sadly easy for me to get shut down by some of that complexity i think i mentioned this before but the the only time i bought and sold property in, was in chicago years ago and yeah. when I was selling, I was like, I was starting to kind of get a sense of land acknowledgements. I think maybe it was in that first episode where we talked a lot about Oh yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And, and I had, I was like, what if, I don't know, what if a percentage of each real estate transaction somehow went back to support the, the First Nations? And, and in this, this area is particularly complex in terms of how many First Nations were here and all of that. And, you know, in, in a lot of areas, it, it might have been like, okay, great, I'll just make this donation to this. And again, not sure. magically going to solve anything. And in fact, yeah. probably not that useful if I don't actually engage directly and, and learn, you know, <laughs> more than just, just some anonymous donation or something. But like, yeah, what can I learn about it? Who can I know? How can we salvage some of the culture? 
and whatnot. But I didn't even do that because it was it was it was too complex. It, it, there wasn't an easy button. And there are places I think in I think yeah. around I think in Oakland and and there are some areas where there actually are groups starting to do this to make it easier for folks. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Well, I know I know we got to come in for landing. There were yeah. there were two things we can um, maybe tease out for the future. There was the there was the time I got canceled. Uh, uh, by posting a, a Jordan Peterson video on Facebook. Um, oh, yeah. And then there's maybe an ongoing conversation around uh, uh, the decision uh, to cancel Aunt Jemima. So. <laughs> oh, yes. So, yeah, for anybody uh, who wants to come engage with us on social media, wherever you find yourself. Um, if those topics provoke anything or if any, if you're provoked by anything we've talked about today, uh, both in the like, yes, yes, thank you. And also the what in the world are you talking about? Those are both uh, perfectly acceptable uh, responses. We, we, we welcome and we acknowledge the, your responses to whatever we've said. Those uh, we're going to just assume those are real feelings. And, and please don't cancel us or or do. That's your choice. Or do. Yeah, this is what we've got and we've given it to you. Thank you, Andy. I love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye.